So this morning I'd like to take some time to offer the basic instructions for this practice. For some of you this will be more of a review, just reminders about the practice. For a few of you this will be kind of an initiation into this style of practice. I find it helpful to remind ourselves at the beginning why we are practicing. The orientation, the direction, the aim, the purpose of the practice frames the entire exploration that we do. And so fairly simply, We are practicing to learn about our minds, to understand the ways in which our own minds participate in creating stress, suffering, unease. And through that understanding this understanding being more of a direct witnessing, let's say, of how our minds participate in creating suffering for themselves. In that direct witnessing, the mind begins to understand how to reorient away from participating in that creation of suffering and towards release, towards the creation of wholesome states that support freedom, support letting go. And so fundamentally, our work is to learn about our minds. Whatever's happening, in our minds, whether it's pleasant, unpleasant, whether it's reactivity or wholesome qualities of mind. We are exploring learning how they come to be. What, what sustains them, what makes them fall apart. One of the great things about this understanding. Maybe it's a great thing about the way our human nature is put together, this human being, this human life, is that we very naturally, let's say our, our, our organism wants to move in the direction of well-being. And it tries, it tries its best to move in the direction of well-being. And yet it can only move in the direction of well-being as far as the information it receives will allow it to 
and a lot of the information that our culture, our system has been getting about what and the direction to find happiness and well-being. A lot of that information has been completely misguided. And so our minds have been obscured and confused partly through not really opening to and being curious about what is actually happening. But instead being more oriented towards a perspective of I or me or mine. The way we relate to experience has habitually been guiding us just exactly in the wrong way. And so our our system has been trying to take us towards well-being, but because of the way we, the beliefs we have, the attitudes, the views, those beliefs, attitudes, views have obscured a a deeper path to happiness, a deeper direction of well-being. And so this practice begins to put us more into an uncompromising relationship with what's actually happening. And in that, our system, our being, gets completely different information. A simple example of this might be the experience of some kind of reactivity before meeting Buddhist practice, my own relationship to something like anger, for example, was something along the lines of, yeah, this anger is gonna really make that other person miserable and somehow that's gonna make me feel better. And then in beginning to, in the very first weeks of my meditation practice, beginning to actually recognize, oh, anger hurts me, this being. It's kind of stunning that such a simple thing had not been so obvious to me. This is the power of views to obscure And so we are exploring this possibility of opening to experience what is actually happening in this mind and body and essentially allowing our system to begin to recalibrate to more accurate information, to more non-confused information and our system will naturally begin to move in the direction of letting go of release 
And so this is the purpose of our practice. To understand our minds and have the patience to let that recalibration happen in its own time. This does take some patience, some trust in the practice, some trust in the teachings, some trust in what the Buddha offered. And so this form of practice, this particular form of practice, kind of goes right to the heart of what our minds do. We start looking at our minds. We start looking at what's going on right away. And this practice is primarily what I'll call a receptive awareness rather than a directed attention. We receive, we explore, we open to what's already happening in our experience. This will include, because we're opening to what has already arisen, what has come to be, this will include the ways our conditioning is unfolding, the conditioning from our, from our families, from our cultures, from the way our particular body and mind meet the world and have responded habitually over time, that conditioning unfolds. It doesn't stop unfolding when we come on retreat. And that's what we get to see. We get to see our conditioning. And so it's not a mistake when we see habitual patterns arising in our practice here. In fact, this is this is what we've come to watch. This is what we've come to learn about. And we're opening in this practice to all aspects of our experience, both physical and mental, even though the emphasis moves in the direction of noticing the relationship and what's happening in the mind. We explore all of our experience. And as I mentioned last night, there's an encouragement to check in to that relationship to experience from time to time because that is a key place where our suffering is born, is in relationship to experience. And the suffering tends to be perpetuated when we are unaware of that relationship and also unaware of its impact on ourselves and others. And so the awareness, bringing, bringing our relationship to experience into awareness is how we can start then to learn about those relationships. As I mentioned last night, relaxation is a key for this practice. Because we're cultivating this receptive awareness, 
this receptive attention. What we start to recognize is that, well, essentially we have this support of our body in our mind. I mean, we are given this human body as our, the place where we live. And this human body knows how to see and how to hear and how to smell and taste and touch how to think. Knows how to receive experience. Thank goodness we don't have to figure out how to do that. If we had to figure out how to be aware, it would be exhausting. And so this relaxing receiving experience Essentially, we're exploring opening to and what is it like to be in a human body and mind and have that human body and mind do its thing. This letting go of control is a it's a challenge for all of us. We're so used to, our culture puts us in the driver's seat. Our culture wants to encourage that attitude of control. And so here on this retreat, things are fairly well taken care of. Meals, our food, our sleeping, we've got everything we need very easily here. There's not much we actually have to do other than explore and what's going on in my mind. What's happening here? And so we explore relaxation to start. Relaxing the habits, the attitudes that tend to um, want us to stay in control. We start by relaxing the body. Relax the body, it supports the mind relaxing. And as we relax the mind, as we l- a relaxed mind, when the mind is tense, when the mind is tight, it tends to be caught in thoughts of past and future. Thoughts, thinking about even the present moment. As the mind, as that mental tension relaxes, there's this possibility of our system doing what it does really well, which is knowing the present moment experience. This is what our systems are designed to do, to receive information from the world and recognize it. And so relaxing supports allowing our human system to do its work. So we relax, we receive experience. Three kind of fundamental parts of our meditation are encapsulated in the um, the samadhi aspect of the 
Eightfold Path, the concentration aspect of the Eightfold Path, and those are uh, effort, mindfulness, and concentration. And I'm going to take a few minutes to describe how those will work for us, how we explore those in, in this practice. I'm going to start with mindfulness. So the first piece we explore with mindfulness is the recognition of aware awareness itself. Are you aware? We can use this as a question in our minds. Am I aware? Or aware? Just keep it short. Aware? And if you can even think to ask the question of yourself, you do get to answer yes. You are aware if you're aware enough to ask that question. And so the question might arise, and it does arise at times, why bother with the question? Well, partly because this experience of recognizing awareness is not something we have spent much time doing. We typically orient to what we are aware of and not the experience of awareness itself. What does it mean? What does it feel like to be aware? And so this question, as I said last night, the the experience may, for some of you, not be so obvious. It certainly wasn't for me initially. And yet orienting to this, not trying to figure it out, but just, am I aware? Yep, I know I'm aware. Repeatedly checking into that, over time the mind begins to understand more clearly what this experience of awareness is. What is this What is the feeling of being aware? What is the experience of awareness? And so the purpose of asking that question is to begin to encourage the mind to be interested in in exploring that aspect of our experience, the awareness side itself. So that's the first piece with mindfulness, is recognizing, am I aware? Am I aware? And what are you aware of? That's the second question. As I said last night, every experience has both something that we are aware of and we are aware of it. So we can kind of be attuned to either side of that picture. So the awareness, am I aware? And what? What is obvious? What's the most obvious in this moment, the most obvious experience? If your eyes are open, it may be seeing. Perhaps it's hearing my voice. Perhaps it's some body sensation. might be a general, broader sense of 
sitting in this room or some feeling or some emotion or thought. The entire range of our human experience is fair game for what's obvious. Nothing left out. We are in our mindfulness in this practice, as I said a few minutes ago, exploring receiving experience. This is a difference between some other forms of meditation practice where we consciously choose some object to attend to, such as the breath, letting that be an anchor for the attention, or even in other forms of meditation, allowing, um, you know, kind of a directing of the attention towards objects. This object is what I'm noticing. This object is what I'm noticing. Instead, we are exploring not choosing where the attention goes, but instead exploring the possibility of following the attention. Attention is a factor of mind that's separate from awareness, I'll say, or mindfulness. I I will use the words awareness and mindfulness synonymously most of the time. I'll try to let you know if I change that for any particular talk. But this this kind of function of our system that can know what's happening while it's happening, to be aware, this is different than attention. Attention is the functioning of our mind that picks some experience out of the field. of what we're of of awareness. And we can uh, we can tell one easy way to kind of describe the difference between mindfulness and attention is to point to how we all know that we can pay attention when we're not mindful. Any time that you're walking down the street or driving a car or riding a bicycle and lost in thought, not mindful of where you are or what you're doing. Attention is working. Attention is helping us go around people and avoid running into cars and remembering our exit on the road. Even if we don't remember until we get to our location. Yeah, I have not been aware this entire time. Some part of our system is attending to experience. And so this is an important point to recognize. We do not have to be directing our attention in order to be mindful. This was something that I I thought I learned mindfulness initially through directing the attention and I equated, I I conflated the two. I thought if I wasn't choosing where the attention was, it meant I wasn't mindful. And unlearning that was a big uh, lesson for me to begin to recognize I don't have to decide where the attention is. I can be aware and kind of watch, settle back, not be in the driver's seat, and just see where does the attention go? Kind of following the attention. 
So this is a distinction that we can be aware of, is whether we are choosing where to place our attention, or instead settling back and seeing where is attention already? What are you already aware of? So right now, are you aware? And what is already happening? What are you already knowing? Again, your, your mind and body know how to do this. Can you settle back and allow them to do their work? And then there is how we make effort in this practice. There is a need to make effort. I've talked about this being receptive. We are exploring opening to experience as it unfolds. And that may make us feel like, well, there's nothing to do here. I just settle back. And, and yet we do have to engage. And yet the way we engage may not be... Uh, how we might think. Again, with our habits in meditation, we can, particularly around directing the attention, we can tend to grab onto something and say, okay, I'm going to stay with this, I'm going to be with this, I'm going to hold on to this experience. And the effort that we make in this practice is much lighter. Right now, are you aware of the sound of my voice? Can you notice the sensations of your hands or the contact of your hips against the chair or cushion or bench? How about an in-breath, an out-breath? How hard is it, as I name each of those things, to notice them? Usually it's not so hard almost automatically as I name, pay it, notice your hands. Can you feel the sensations of your hands right now? There they are. Very little effort needed. What is harder, so it's not hard in a moment to be aware. What is harder is for that awareness to be sustained because we have so many habits that pick up on something from our experience and then start thinking about it and start trying to figure something out about it. So that's why it's hard to stay present. So what we need to do is just keep reminding ourselves, how about now? What's most obvious now? So instead of trying to hold on to awareness, we simply keep reminding ourselves to be aware. This was the very first instruction Sayadaw Utejaniya gave me. He said, the, the only work you need to give your mind is to remind yourself to be aware. But we do have to do that. Light touch, in a moment, for a moment, am I aware of what? And again, am I aware of what? How about now? What's obvious now? This light touch over and over again. And so the effort is more about how frequently we, we, we remind ourselves to be aware, not how much we're trying to hold on to something. Am I aware? 
what's obvious. At the beginning of a sitting, at the beginning of a retreat, we have to remind ourselves a lot. Just just gentle reminding, reminding, reminding. And as we settle, as the mind begins to settle, the art of the meditation and the art of the effort is learning when to back off of that reminding. We'll start to get familiar. There'll be a kind of a sense of recognizing a, what we might call a momentum of mindfulness that doesn't need so much reminding. And in fact, at a certain point, as that momentum develops, any effort to remind ourselves to be aware will actually get in the way of that momentum. And so this is the art of our effort, is learning how frequently we need to remind ourselves and when we can remind ourselves less, when we need to bring in a little bit more of the gentle reminding, light touch over and over again. From these two of the reminding yourself gently to be aware, so effort and mindfulness combined, this light touch of effort combined with being aware, those two together as the momentum of mindfulness builds, this is concentration. In this practice, the concentration builds not through stability of mind on a single object. This is maybe the more familiar way, certainly the most common way concentration is talked about in our circles, is the concentration that develops through stabilizing the attention on something like the breath, for example. Another, a different form of concentration is cultivated through the stability of mindfulness itself. Actually, the concentration that develops through stabilizing the attention on a single object, staying with the breath over and over again, that stabilizing the attention on the breath, the concentration there also develops because the mindfulness gets stable and continuous. But the addition of having a single object creates some conditions in the mind that creates certain feeling about that concentration. But it is the continuity of mindfulness that is the concentration. And that continuity of mindfulness can be present whether there is one experience in your attention or a whole flow of changing experience. And so the concentration in this practice comes through the stability of the awareness. The definition perhaps of concentration would mean the mind staying in the present moment, not caught and moving out to think about past or future or even about the present. The mind able to stay in the present moment and over time, the cultivation and the stability of mind in the present moment to be non-reactive to what's happening. And so there is this stability and a balance of mind and equanimity. And those pieces coming together create a very concentrated mind. 
a mind that can see so clearly into what's happening. So this concentration, this stability of the mindfulness, creates the conditions for us to be able to clearly see and begin to understand our habits and patterns of mind, that direction that, we, that I spoke about at the very beginning. And the mind will wander. Of course it will wander. We've practiced wandering a lot. So that habit will come up. One of the most important moments in our meditation practice is the moment that mindfulness returns after we have been wandering. Our relationship to that moment, what happens in that moment, is so important. That one of the most helpful things in that moment and one of the best things that we can do in that moment is to recognize, ah, I'm aware again. Awareness is back. Aware again. Or perhaps sometimes I like the phrase already aware because by the time I've noticed that I'm back, I am already aware. That moment as mindfulness returns is a, it is one of the best moments where we can really start to get familiar with that experience of mindfulness itself. And so it's a prime moment to be curious about. Oh, aware again, already aware. What is it like to be aware again? And what is here in this moment? Sometimes we can, we can begin to see some of the conditioning nature of our minds in that moment also, because as the mind wanders, as the mind gets lost in thought, it is conditioning itself, it is creating stuff, it's, it's often, you know, if it's stuck in its habitual patterns and habits, it's often going off and thinking about things I needed to do or needed to fix or change or whatever. And, and so it's created some tension or stress in the minds. And so in the moment that, mm, that we return from wandering, aware again, and what's here? Essentially exploring and being curious about what has been created while the mind was wandering. If there is tension in, that, in the system, it can be useful to recognize just really simply at the beginning, is there tension or ease in that moment when the mind returns from wandering? Is there tension or ease? If there is tension, it can be really useful to reconnect with relaxation for a time. There's no particular other experience you need to get back to. And the exploration of relaxation, again, remember, cultivates the conditions for relaxed attention. And so that can be a very skillful place to, uh, to explore. As the uh, retreat goes on, we can just simply be curious about the tension itself. Oh, aware again, and oh, there's tension. What's that like? What's it like to sit with that tension? Oh, seeing the tension release. And yet early in the retreat, often it can be supportive 
to remind ourselves about relaxation in that moment. In that moment also, sometimes when our minds wander, and more often than I ever would have thought when I first started exploring this moment, sometimes when our minds wander, there actually are wandering into letting go, wandering into release and relaxation, only we've lost awareness in that. And yet in the moment when mindfulness returns, sometimes we can notice, ah, already aware and so much ease in the body. Our relationship in that moment often has habitually been, oh, I haven't been aware. Let me come back. Let me find something to pay attention to. And we may miss that the mind is actually settled in the wandering. And so this is a little bit of a encouragement to just be curious about what's happening in that moment. There may be some tension there, but way more often than you might think, you might notice there's actually more ease, more relaxation than was there before your mind got lost. And then you can be aware of that and connect to it. And then again, notice what's here, what's obvious, pleasant, calm, happiness, may be present in that moment. Our habitual relationship to that moment will just leap right over those things without even noticing them. We need to also from time to time, check into our relationship to experience. Check into the attitude. Because, as I said last night, our attitude can form kind of a filter on our awareness that influences how we're paying attention without our knowing it. And if unwittingly we may be reinforcing a greed or an aversion or a frustration or a confusion or a dislike, unwittingly we might be reinforcing those because we are unaware of that relationship to experience. And equally, there are times when there is a a wholesome relationship to experience, one of allowing acceptance, love, kindness, and those also can go unnoticed. What's actually happening here is, well, there's no problem. I feel okay about this. Wow, there's calm there. There's balance of mind there. I hadn't noticed that. So checking to the relationship of experience can begin to expose both the unwholesome filters on our experience and wholesome qualities that may be being cultivated but not consciously recognized. 
And so we check in from time to time. How am I with experience? What's happening? We are exploring the possibility of what we could call wise attitude, what Saira Utejaniya calls right attitude, that is a way of observing that allows you to feel at ease with whatever is being experienced. And yet, that's a we can't simply turn on wise attitude. We can't simply decide, oh, I'm going to pay attention in a way that allows me to be at ease with whatever's happening. We get to know wise attitude by exploring what's in its way, by recognizing and allowing to be in the field of our attention those reactive patterns, bringing to the surface, instead of letting them be subconscious, letting our, uh, our reactivity be known, our kind of filter through which we're seeing experience become conscious. And so we explore wise attitude by getting really familiar with all the reactivity, all the attitudes that get in the way of wise attitude. When we become aware of some attitude of mind, there's nothing in particular we need to do with that other than recognize, ah, I've become aware of this attitude. This is the experience of frustration or irritation or desire or pride or frustration or arrogance or confusion. This is the experience of that. Letting it come into conscious attention is all that needs to happen. Unless you find you are hooked by that attitude. Sometimes certain attitudes can be a very strong filter on our minds. Fear, for example, you know, we might, fear might arise in our minds and we find instead of just, oh, that's fear, we might find ourselves afraid of fear, kind of it pearl, pulled into the whirlpool or quicksand of that um, reactivity. If that happens, then it's really useful to turn your attention to something consciously, pick something in your experience, let yourself step away from that. Turn your, turn your attention to opening your eyes and seeing or using hearing meditation. Often if there's a strong emotional reactivity, using the breath is not so helpful because our breath is often engaged with emotional reactivity and so might it might remind you of the emotion to be trying to pay attention to your breath at that point. So picking something, hands or feet or seeing, something that lets you step away from it if you are being pulled into overwhelm. So there's four basic flavors of attitude. All the attitudes will fall into one of these four camps. Flavor of greed, wanting something to happen. A flavor of aversion, wanting something not to be happening. A flavor of delusion, of confusion about what's happening perhaps. We'll talk more about these flavors as we go. And the fourth attitude is 
basically balance of mind, okay with what's happening. And so when you check in to this, to the attitude check-in, what's the relationship to experience? (coughs) Something might be obvious, this using this question, and, and this technique does use questions. Using questions is not an invitation to think about something, to try to figure something out. Instead, it's an invitation for our system to be curious about, and what's happening around that? What's the attitude? Is there something going on in there? And not trying to find it, but sometimes just the question begins to let things that were just below the surface of our subconscious awareness kind of bubble into conscious awareness. And so asking that question, what's the attitude, may just like let that bubble up into conscious awareness. If it doesn't, if there's nothing obvious that becomes clear for you, just let it go. Just continue recognizing, oh, okay, I'm aware. What am I aware of? The attitude may or may not be obvious. And that's okay. It's more of an invitation to see something else going on here that I'm not consciously aware of in this moment. And so we'll just take a few moments. Are you aware? What's obvious? Relax. Recognize that you're aware. Receive what's obvious. And what's your relationship? What's the attitude? 
If there's nothing particularly obvious or clear about the attitude, just continuing. Am I aware? Of what? So your bodies can get a shift. We'll be doing walking meditation in just a few minutes. And at the 10.15 sitting, apologies to those of you who are in the kitchen, um, at the 10.15 sitting I'll do a guided meditation. Uh, so there's a little more opportunity to uh, settle in with the practice in sitting. But now we'll do it in walking, and you know the instructions are identical. <laughs> They're the same instructions for sitting, for walking, for eating, for doing your yogi jobs. The instructions do not change through the day. And this is actually one of the things I love about this practice, because whether we're engaged in formal meditation or informal practice, engaged in our daily activities or in a formal meditation practice, the instructions are the same. And so this style of practice is really ideal for taking into our daily lives, into home, into our home lives. And yet, <laughs> I also want to, to just say that that is not the only thing this practice is good for. <laughs> um, you know, the, the depth of understanding that can come through applying this practice and using it in silent retreat, in formal meditation continuously, is phenomenal. And so while it is 
a practice that goes from sitting to, uh, to daily life. It also is a practice that can take us all the way to freedom. So for walking, the way this practice applies in walking, we use the same basic tools, relax, recognize awareness, notice what's obvious and check the attitude of mind from time to time. The relaxing piece, you know, the thing, one of the things I find most supportive in terms of exploring relaxation in walking is to find a pace that feels really comfortable for the body. And I would encourage you to explore something other than back and forth walking here for the formal walking periods. You can do, uh, well, I'd encourage you to find some place or way to walk where you don't have to think too much about where you're going. So you may like walk from one end of the driveway back to the back of the property and then back. When I was at Shui Min, there was a very long, it was about a quarter mile uh, driveway down the right, the middle of the monastery. And I just walked from one end of the gate to the other end of the gate. Just, you know, it was, it was a quarter mile, so it was a long walk. And it, it just walking at a fairly ordinary pace, slightly slower than ordinary, was what was comfortable for me. And so find a pace that feels really comfortable. At different times of the day, the pace will feel different. So exploring that, take some time to just use that as, as your awareness. What feels most comfortable while walking? That comfortable pace will tend to be a place where the mind and body can be most relaxed. Walk in a way where the mind and body feel relaxed. And when there is some relaxation, begin checking in. Aware, am I aware? And what's obvious? In the walking practice, seeing and hearing will be big along with the movement. I mean, the sitting meditation, we tend to have our eyes closed, and so we're not doing too much in the way of seeing unless there are inner images that come up. Um, and we're still, so most of our physical um, experiences come through the stillness of the body. We're not um, moving, and so we're not experiencing as much movement in the sitting. So in the walking, we have two huge areas of seeing and physical movement that are additional areas of exploration, along with whatever's going on in our minds, of course, which tends to happen in particular in response to things that we might see or hear or smell while we're doing walking meditation. And so... Um, the basic tool is, am I aware? And what is obvious? What is the most obvious experience right now? It may shift, seeing, oh, hearing, oh, body movement, oh, thinking, seeing, hearing, seeing, seeing, seeing. It's okay for the attention to move from one experience to the next. It will move from one object to the next. 
Again, no need to try to force the attention to stay with the sensations of the feet or legs as you move, for instance. We are cultivating, again, the possibility of more receptive awareness, the fullness of our human experience. Receiving, where is the attention? So this is a really good practice in following the attention in the walking. And I'll offer you a couple of places that this can be particularly fun to explore, at least I find it fun to explore. In the seeing, in in the field, the visual field, there will be times when the attention is kind of more broad. You're not particularly looking at anything just kind of taking in a more general panoramic sense of seeing. And then there will be something happens. A bird will fly across or the cat will trot out in front of you or there'll be a big splotch of color that comes into view. And the attention will orient to that. You will start to look. This is very natural. Our human systems are kind of designed, in particular in the visual field, to orient to movement and color. And so the attention kind of landing on something, that can be a a beginning exploration of, of noticing attention. The attention was broad, receiving, seeing, and suddenly it's looking looking at the cat, looking at the flower. No need to stop that, but notice that the attention has shifted from seeing to looking. Notice that 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 has happened. What are the conditions for that to have happened? And then perhaps the mind shifts to looking at something else and then something else. And again, follow the attention follow that. And at some point, maybe the attention just moves back into a broader seeing. Or maybe it shifts entirely to the body. So having that sense of being in the driver, not in the driver's seat, but seeing where does the attention go? And how is it working? Is it panoramic and broad or does it narrow down? to one particular thing. So noticing the distinction between seeing and looking. Likewise, in the terrain of hearing, we can notice kind of just a sense of a broader ambient sounds, no particular sound highlighted, but just more knowing hearing is happening. And then a particular sound, one of those woodpeckers. And suddenly the attention is listening or a car, or the bell rings, and suddenly you're listening to that. And so again, noticing the distinction between hearing and listening. This is recognizing the factor of attention at work, this functioning of our mind, even in the, the sense experiences of seeing and hearing. Our mind is at work, and we can see that, we can witness it. So. Relax, recognize awareness, notice what's obvious, and from time to time, just check in to the relationship. How am I with what's happening? What's the attitude?
So it's time for um, the walking. And some of you have work meditations at this time, so please remember those. Sometimes people have walking in their minds, kind of, and then walk right past the kitchen. (laughs) So if you have a 9.30 yogi job, please remember that. And practice this in the kitchen, because it's the same instructions in the kitchen. Relax, recognize, am I aware? What am I noticing? Different objects, different experiences happening in the kitchen than walking, but equally we can be aware of them. So this, this afternoon's Dharma offering, I'll probably, I'll follow up on a few pieces to elaborate on a few of the instructions a little bit more. And then there'll be an opportunity I- this afternoon for questions in the hall, um, um, just to um, give you some opportunity to practice with these instructions today. And then this afternoon, we'll have time for questions. So you may have questions now, but sometimes it's wise to not go immediately to try to find the answer and not think about it, but just use these simple instructions. Perhaps your question will get answered and some new question will arise. So at the four o'clock Dharma offering, we'll, we'll, we'll have some questions. Um, and then tonight also at nine o'clock, uh, every evening at nine o'clock, there's a, a sitting. And at the beginning of that sitting, I offer, um, and Nisha may at times offer a, um, a reflection, just a little reflection, say, you know, eight, 10 minutes of reflection on some particular theme or topic. So that's another time of teaching in the hall. Um, And then the group meetings will start tomorrow. And so sometime this afternoon, I'll post those on the door to the dining room. So just keep your eyes out this afternoon. The groups will meet every third day. Um, So I'll post the three days in a row, but so at the top it'll say which day you're uh, you're in. so some of you w- will have another couple days to settle in. Some of you I'll, be, I'll see tomorrow, etc. So enjoy your walking. Thank you.